0: If your inbox is filled with emails that leave you feeling anxious, then you need to sign up for The Good Newsletter, the weekly email filled with good news. Each email is filled with the week's most hopeful headlines and reminders that there are inspiring people actively fighting to make the world a better place. Join tens of thousands of hope-filled subscribers by subscribing today at goodnewsletter.org.
1: Hey, guys. So there are tons of organizations and individuals who are making the world a better place. A lot of which we've yet to feature on the podcast. We know because a lot of you guys have been reaching out. So to help us dig our way through, we're holding a contest to determine who to feature on the next season of Sincerely Human. And it's super easy to join. Just pick out your favorite episode of the podcast and share the link. You can do this by posting on social media or you can send it to three people in your network via text, email, however way you choose. Then just email us at contact at with a brief description of your organization and a screenshot of you sharing the episode. The two winners will be featured on a Sincerely Human episode next season, as well as our Instagram page. On top of that, we'll also be donating $150 to your organization. Email us your entries by December 18. If you know someone who might be interested, please share this with them. All the details are in our show notes. We can't wait to hear from you.
2: I had this moment about three months into my first job at this corporation where I realized, okay, I have this whole world that I say I really care about. I'm really passionate about women and girls, and extreme poverty and conflict and post-conflict zones and gender inequality. And then I looked at my life and I you know, worked in a high-rise building in downtown St. Louis. And I really kind of had this like come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, you say you really care about that stuff. And there's a pretty big delta between what you say you care about and the life that you're building. And so it was in that moment where I quit my corporate job And I bought a one way plane ticket to East Africa.
0: (laughs) You're listening to Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. This is Camille.
1: And this is Maverick. Welcome to the show.
0: tell you off the bat that our next guest has become a real friend and partner of our podcast company, Human Group Media. Liz Bohannon is the founder of the socially conscious company Seiko Designs and the fair trade coffee brand Together Coffee. She's also the author of Beginner's Pluck and the host of another podcast on the HGM network, Plucking Up. Seiko is based in Portland, Oregon. The social enterprise began as a way to support young women in Uganda Through their work-study program, they focus on creating financial opportunities for women to go to college. According to the nonprofit organization Uganda for Her, around half of girls in the country between the ages of 15 to 24 are illiterate. Meanwhile, 10 to 25% is how much a girl's income will increase with every extra year of education. It's also reported that an educated woman in Uganda will invest 90% of her income into her family.
1: It's truly admirable when someone sees a huge problem and takes steps to come up with a solution, even if they have to go on this long, winding road to get there. That's exactly what Liz did for these women.
2: Part of my story is that I... Struggled with not feeling like I had a set of interests or like passions really early on It's actually one of the reasons that I wrote the book that I wrote, but I would say I was interested in theater I was interested in art. I became interested at a relatively early age I wouldn't say in humanitarian issues because when you're in middle school, that's a little bit heavy But I think curious about how the world works and with this understanding and awareness that my experience as, you know, growing up in the suburbs of St. Louis to a family in the middle class was much different.
0: Liz's mom was a pediatric nurse at the children's hospital in their city.
2: She is an amazing woman and was constantly just really, really involved in kids' lives, um, her patients' lives that came from really different socioeconomic backgrounds. And so from a really early age, I was experiencing like, "Whoa, my house is a lot different than Maria's house or than Laurent's house, and um, really kind of starting to grapple with that.
0: This early awareness made Liz become curious about the world. I
2: never was interested in business, social entrepreneurship, definitely not fashion. So when I was in college, I not only was not interested in business or fashion, I was like kind of against both of those things. My belief was really, you know, I was like this, I studied journalism and I was interested in like human rights and women and girls and inequality. And so I very much so thought if you were interested in fashion or you were interested in business, you were shallow, you were materialistic, you were greedy, you had no idea what was happening in Syria, you know? So my story is one of eating a good dose of humble pie, I would say, because now I run a for-profit fashion company.
0: She decided to study journalism to become a foreign correspondent, but life sent her on a different path. Turns out, New York Times isn't really
2: interested in hiring a 22-year-old who has no experience and has, like, never left the United States of America to be a foreign correspondent. So I worked at a big corporate communication firm.
1: She worked on social responsibility, but she didn't feel any real passion for it. Three months into it, she realized something.
2: Okay, I have this whole world that I say I really care about. I'm really passionate about women and girls, and extreme poverty and conflict and post-conflict zones and gender inequality. And then I looked at my life and I, you know, worked in a high-rise building in downtown St. Louis, and I really kind of had this, like, come to Jesus moment where I was like, okay, you say you really care about that stuff, but yet this is the life that you're building. And this is kind of the trajectory that you're on. And there's a pretty big delta between what you say you care about and the life that you're building.
1: In this sort of aha moment, Liz didn't just quit her job. She also bought herself a one-way plane ticket to Uganda. Besides an acquaintance from college who had moved there, she had no connection to the country.
2: That was the beginning of a season of just being absolutely clueless. Literally having no idea, like, why am I here? What am I doing? I just started traveling across the country and asking questions and trying to make friends and inviting people to go to coffee and, like, hosting small groups with, you know, groups of young women and just, like, really trying to build community.
1: Throughout this process, Liz learned of a youth development organization. She approached them to write a couple of profiles for their newsletter. She was immediately fascinated by the young Ugandan women she met there.
2: Their kind of core thing that they do is they have these leadership academies for men and for young women. They go all over the country to recruit these students. So they're really, really smart. Top like 5% of students in the country.
0: Liz wanted to stay involved with this organization. In the process, she learned of a gap in their program.
2: What's happening is that they're graduating from this two-year college prep program, and they're going back home to their villages for that nine months, and a lot of them are not coming back. And they're not coming back because, one, they can't find jobs you know, that most of them are from areas of the country where there's over an 80% youth unemployment rate. And the jobs that do exist, they're competing with young men in the village for those same limited economic opportunities. So I can't find jobs, I can't earn money to pay for college. And then two, there's this big loss of social support. So they've spent two years with other really smart, academically gifted young women who have these huge visions for like going to university and becoming change makers in their community. And then they go back home to their village where they're probably the only woman in their entire community that has graduated from high school. Like, there's just no social support. They're facing a ton of pressure with bride price to get married and to start having kids. And so it was kind of this financial component and then the social component. And the leaders of the school were kind of in the midst of this, like, ooh,
0: like, what do we do? Liz volunteered with hopes of solving this issue. And so I'm like, OK, how do we bridge this nine-month gap between
2: high school and university? And because I'm an American and in Africa for the first time, I was like, duh, we'll like start some sort of charity or nonprofit and I'll match up women in the US with women in Uganda kind of based on career interests and then they'll send them a check and then that'll be it.
0: Luckily, Liz was surrounded by a community of Ugandans who challenged her to think deeper.
2: At the end of the day, American women sending checks like doesn't solve the problem because the problem's bigger than that. Like students are graduating into our economy and our economy can't support them. And the social aspect of like, they really wanted to figure out something where we could keep the women living in community together and kind of like spurring one another on towards their future goals, as opposed to kind of separating and going back home to their villages.
0: Liz realized that the solution would be far from what she had expected. I was like, oh my gosh,
2: well, It sounds like you're talking about starting a business, like creating jobs and employing people and teaching them a skill. And this, like, totally turned my world upside down because I was like, wait, you can't do business to, like, do something good. Like, you do business to get rich and you start nonprofits to help people. So I went through a big kind of existential crisis and came out on the other side of it going like, oh, my gosh. This is the only answer. Like for this specific problem, we have to start a business. We've got to create jobs. We've got to build up the local economy. We've got to contribute to infrastructure and job creation.
1: Liz decided to start a chicken farm. But that project failed quickly. She had to come up with a more financially sound alternative.
2: And so then I was just like brainstorming, like, what's something we could do or make specifically at this point. I was like, it needs to be an export product from the economic standpoint. Like, I don't know, what can we make and sell to women in the U.S.? And I had made a pair of these strappy, funky sandals when I was in college. Again, no interest in fashion. It was literally out of like, I would love a pair of flip-flops that don't flop. (laughs) So I took a pair of like rubber flip-flops and I tore off the like rubber thong and I replaced it with some strappy ribbons and made flip-flops that didn't flop. And a friend from back home was like, what about those, like, funky strappy sandals that you wore in college? Like, could you make those? And I was like, sure. Like, why not? Let's try that.
1: Liz traveled the country by motorbike for months. She found raw materials to prototype the sandals. And when she came back to the youth development organization, she approached three young women.
2: Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. I was like, all right, ladies, here's the deal. If you promise to make these sandals for the next nine months between high school and university, I promise that you'll go to university next fall. And they were like, "Okay." And I was like, "Okay."
1: Liz came back to the U.S. with six suitcases just full of handmade sandals.
2: And started selling these things out of the back of my car. And uh, you know, which that's definitely what your parents want you doing with your master's degree in journalism, (laughs) but it worked. And people seem to really like the product itself. It's, It's a unique product. There was nothing like it on the market. And so this combination between having a really unique product that people hadn't seen before and this really powerful story about like, hey, if you buy this pair of sandals, you're going to buy a pair of sandals anyway, this summer, you get to be a part of this incredible story of these three women who will go on to be leaders in their community. And the combination of those two things proved to be a pretty powerful thing. And so that's how it all started.
0: Liz sold enough sandals to enable these young women to attend college. During this time, she also got married. With her husband, Ben, they figured out the next steps together.
2: I didn't know, was this a project? Was this a company? Was this, it was just Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca. It was just like, okay, I made a promise. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to keep my promise. And really just kept my head down to keep that very initial, relatively small promise of like, help create this opportunity for three young women. And so we were just like, oh my gosh, this like worked. Like, Mary, Mercy, and Rebecca are going to university. Like, we have to do it again. Like, we have to offer this opportunity to more women. And that's when the vision for being like, we want to do this. And we, we don't want it to be a project, and we don't want it to be a charity. Like, we want to be a best-in-class manufacturer in East Africa. Like, we want to build something, a great place to work, where people come, they work every day, they're treated with dignity, it's efficient, it's
0: beautiful, it's high quality. And so that's when that kind of vision took root. Liz ended up calling her company Seiko. That's spelled S-S-E-K-O, and it's the Ugandan word for laughter. She partnered with a youth development organization she was involved with. For university-bound women working at Seiko, half of their salary is automatically deposited into an educational savings fund. And they don't have
2: access to that part of their salary until they graduate from our program and go on to university. And the reason that we do that is we realized really early on That when 19-year-old women who come from backgrounds of extreme poverty are earning a regular paycheck every two weeks, there's a ton of pressure on them from everybody in their family to give that money right back. And so savings was a really hard thing. And they go on to university and get their degrees and become these amazing, incredible leaders in their communities. And then we get to hire a whole group of women the next year.
1: This social enterprise model was something that people didn't quite understand
2: at that time 10 years ago it was like wait what okay who are you giving the sandal? like so are the poor women in africa getting the sand toms had just come onto the scene and that was like the first that kind of we were like mainstream exposed to this idea of like business for social good and so it consumed people's like way of thinking and so it was so often that we would get like oh okay you're like tom's right and we were like no and here's why
1: not only did liz and ben have to explain their business model They also spent a lot of time and energy trying to convince people that social entrepreneurship actually works.
2: We can do good and make money. And really, it kind of felt because we were so early on, it kind of felt like we were carrying a mantle. There was kind of this thing of like, we have to prove that it can be done. You know, like it's not just for us and not just for our community in Uganda, but like we're staking a claim that you can run a profitable company with social impact at its heart. Like we have to be successful in order to show that you don't actually have to choose between the two. But early on, that was definitely like one of the biggest pushbacks and challenges.
0: Seiko continued to grow with this mindset. In 2015, Liz and her husband had the opportunity to appear on the popular reality TV show, Shark Tank.
2: Hi, Sharks. We're Liz and Ben Bohannon. We're from Portland, Oregon, and we're the husband and wife team
0: behind Seiko Designs.
2: We're seeking $300,000 for 10% equity in our company.
0: Seiko didn't make a deal that night, but the TV appearance was still a success.
2: It was actually the best thing that we didn't get a deal because our community absolutely like rallied behind that. And like, we don't need the sharks and we're going to prove them wrong and we're doing business in a different way. And like, it was an amazing energy boost to like our community and kind of this like rallying cry that like we're doing something different and like
0: we don't need those people anyway. And so, yeah, it was,
2: it was quite a trip.
0: Today, Seiko continues to help women earn a wage to attend college. We've
2: got a whole Ugandan management team and then our production workforce also really has... Varied backgrounds, but we work with a couple different nonprofits that work with women who are coming out of the commercial sex industry, who are coming out of abusive relationships. We partner with these nonprofits and say, Come work at Seiko and you can retire here. Like, literally, you'll get paid on time. You get health benefits. You get paid maternity leave. Like, you can put your kids in school. You can save for a house.
0: Around six years ago, Seiko also expanded their product line. They now sell everything from apparel to jewelry. About 50% of their products come from Uganda. The other half is sourced from other manufacturers and fair trade organizations all across the globe. And we
2: are a lot more strategic about looking of like, okay, what are the raw materials that are available? What's the infrastructure? What are the needs for women and girls? And really our kind of sweet spot is like, where are the places in the world where the needs and challenges that women and girls face are really high? But yet we think that we can pull something off that makes sense from a business standpoint.
1: Seiko is a strong case study for social entrepreneurship. When Liz started sharing her story at events, she realized that a lot of women aspired to do something similar.
2: I would get tons and tons of emails from people asking, like, how did you figure this out? Like, how did you do this? Like, I... I'm in this job and I like don't really feel like it matters or like I haven't really found my way and I'm not passionate about the work that I'm doing. And like, you figured it out. You've made a job out of this thing that you love and that you're passionate about and you're making this bigger impact in the world. Like, can we meet for coffee?
1: Liz really wanted to help these women, but we all know it's not as easy as it
2: sounds. Like for the mom who has three kids under the age of five, who's like, the idea of being in a social entrepreneur is amazing, but like, I don't have a business background. I don't have product, I don't have a service for, you know, the recent college student who's like, I can't start a vertically integrated manufacturing company, <laughs> you know, in a developing economy. Um, like, could we put our product and our brand and our story into their hands and walk alongside of them and enable them to build their own social businesses? And so about three years ago, that's what we did.
1: She decided that to better involve these women, Seiko had to adapt. So they took all their products off wholesale shelves and built a direct-to-consumer business model through which they engaged Seiko
2: Fellows. It's been unbelievable. Like, beyond my wildest imagination, the community of women that we have that are really the face and the heart of our brand now. They are selling, they're styling their friends, they're, you know, planning events, they're monetizing their online platforms, by you know sharing the Seiko story and earning a commission off of any of their sales is amazing. And, and the energy that that has created, I'm like, oh, okay, this is all along, we were meant to be this like full circle, creating community and opportunity, not just for women globally, but for women right here at home.
1: Liz is now not only running Seiko, but is also training thousands of women to develop their own businesses.
2: So I'm like really up close with the mentalities and the mindsets and the things that are keeping people from being successful and keeping people from taking risks and keeping people from like iterating and getting to the next level. And specifically for women, one of the things that kept coming up was we would have women that were really successful in our community share, do like teaching or coaching or, you know, share with their community. Here's how I got to this level. Here's how I was successful. And so often they would start out with like, okay, so. I think I just got lucky, da da, da 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 And it would make me so mad because I'm like, sister, no. I see what you're doing, and it's not luck. Like, you're smart, and you're following up, and you're taking risks, and when you get rejected, like, you're grounded enough in yourself to, like, get back at it and to pivot and to iterate and to stay curious. Like, none of that has anything to do with luck has a lot to do with just having a lot of pluck. And so this kind of phrase in our community emerged of like, who needs luck when you got pluck? And I started banning the word luck from our calls.
0: The noun pluck means spirited and determined courage. Her experience teaching these women inspired her to write a book called Beginner's Pluck.
2: I just started really thinking through like, what are the messages that aren't working? And what do I think are the mentalities and mindsets that are infinitely more helpful and developed 14 principles of Beginner's Pluck that I really believe, and a lot of them kind of fly in the face of everything that we've been taught about passion and purpose and impact, and combining that with kind of the narrative of my story to
0: make this book called Beginner's Pluck. As we mentioned, Liz also launched a podcast called Plucking Up. On the podcast, Liz talks to celebrated authors, entrepreneurs, and creative leaders who have built lives of purpose, passion, and impact. The show has featured guests like Elizabeth Gilbert, Morgan Harper Nichols, Allie Webb, Rebecca Minkoff, and many more. With the many facets of Liz's journey, she understands the importance of kindness and connection.
2: I think the biggest thing is that I try on a daily basis to wake up and to treat people as if they are my teacher. And I think that that changes everything. Like when you walk into an interaction, and it doesn't matter if it's with you know, someone who's running a company and is 10 stages ahead of you, or it's the woman who's cleaning the bathrooms in the office building that you're in. I think when we enter into an interaction with the posture of like, I'm a student and you are my teacher, it kind of changes everything. It opens up your world to like what you have to learn. You start like mining for gold in these interactions and in people's experiences. And ultimately, I think it leads you to treating people with kindness and with dignity.
1: enjoyed listening to Liz's story as much as we loved sharing it. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to check out her podcast Plucking Up. We personally love listening to Liz's conversations with her equally inspiring guests. Working with Liz on the show has been an absolute pleasure for us, so hop on over to the Plucking Up podcast and show Liz some love. You can also check out Seiko Designs at their website, seikodesigns.com. That's Seiko spelled S-S-E-K-O and connect with Liz on Instagram at Liz Bohannon. Thank you so much for tuning in today and we'll catch you again next week.